Well, good morning. And uh, this morning we're going to be having the third in our series on Elijah. Um, and today we are in 1 Kings chapter 19, which is on page 301 um, of the Bibles. 1 Kings chapters 19. Now, we left it last week after um, the challenge of God against Baal and the um, God showing his power through lighting the barbecue and then through um, the rain being restored. And that's where we kind of left it at the end of last week. And then today we come to what might seem to be a bit of a bump in the road. And so we're going to start by reading I think if we start at chapter 18, verse 45, just to get a bit of the continuity from last time, and then we'll read chapter 19 as well. So 1 Kings chapter 18 at verse 45. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, 
but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall announce Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have not bound to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen, and sacrificed them, and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah, and assisted him. Amen. Let's commit this to God. Let's pray. Father, as we've just sung, we are gathered all here to hear you. And so we just pray that by your teachings, true and holy, that you will draw us, Lord, to love you solely. Amen. Well, I expect um, those husbands amongst us um, know the feeling when you have to confess something to your wife. Maybe you've forgotten to take your shoes off and you've made a mess in the carpet. Or maybe you haven't told your wife something that's in the diary and then it just causes problems when she finds out. Well, whatever we've done, nothing would, I think, compare um, with what Ahab had to face when he arrived back and saw Jezebel. And you can just imagine the scene, can't you? Jezebel says, well, how's your day been, dear? And he says, oh, it was fine, fine. And then he says, well, there was a slight incident. All oh, right, um, what was that? Well, it's, it's about all the prophets. What about the prophets? Well, there's none left. They've all been murdered. And you can imagine, as we read here, that Jezebel flies into a rage, and so she goes after Elijah. Such a rage that she threatens that Elijah would be dead within 24 hours. And so seeing what was unfolding, Elijah retreats. He travels many miles south. He was in Israel up in the north, and he travels south into Judah, into a, a safe country, into the wilderness at Beersheba. And there he gets under a broom tree, and he sits down, and he asks that he might die. 
Well, that's quite a transformation in circumstances, isn't it? From the high last week of Mount Carmel with the miracles of the fire and the rain. And so the question going through Elijah's mind and probably going through our mind as we read it is, has it all been in vain, everything that happened last time? Or is this a bump in the road? So let's have a look at this seemingly strange chapter, and I'll split it into three headings. I'm firstly an unexpected result, which is up to verse 8. And then there's a trip to the mountain, which is verse 9 to 14. And then there's a new task for Elijah in verse 15 to 21. So let's first of all look at the unexpected result. And I think to understand this, let's just take a step back. Because the last time Elijah had seen the people had been after God sent fire and lit up the barbecue. And if you remember, after that happened, all the people of Israel were saying, He is the Lord, He is God. And then Elijah had gone up the mountain, and he'd prayed, and when the rain came, Elijah gathered up his garment, and as we read at the end of the last chapter, he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So God had shown his power that he was the true God, The rain had come as promised. And so you can imagine Elijah, can't you, going back and thinking that the result would be that all the people would be rejoicing, that all the idols would be burned, that Ahab and Jezebel would be repenting. But there wasn't a bit of that, was there? There was no revival at all. In fact, quite the opposite. Interestingly, in verse 1, it says that Ahab had told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, nothing about what God had done. He just hadn't got it at all. So there was no repentance, no turning around from Ahab and Jezebel. So understandably then, Elijah was disappointed because he had a big heart for revival. He was wanting the people to come to God. And so on, hearing this word from Jezebel, he fled. Now, to understand this, I think we have to look at verse 3. And verse 3 says that, starts off by saying that then he was afraid. Now, the Hebrew word for afraid is very similar to the Hebrew word for saw. And I think some translations would say then Elijah saw and then he he ran away. And I think we've kind of got to take these two together because Elijah was afraid, but he saw the whole picture. And the picture that he saw was that there wasn't going to be a revival. So yes, he was afraid for his life, but he also was discouraged because this revival wasn't going to happen. So he goes and hides under the broom tree. And he's exhausted, he's disappointed, He's probably confused, and so he prays to God. He's had enough, and he wants to die. Now, maybe it's good sometimes, isn't it, that God doesn't actually answer our prayers. But in his exhaustion, he falls asleep. Now, I think we can all sympathize with Elijah here, can't we, this disappointment, because it's a very human reaction to such a situation And I think we can sympathize because many times we've probably been in the same situation where our service for God has seemingly yielded no results. 
maybe we've been running a one-to-one -one study with someone and nothing has really clicked. Or we're a Bible study leader and nothing seems to happen despite week after week meeting together. Or we've been faithful week by week at church. We do what we think is right at church and church isn't growing at all and we're disappointed. And maybe in situations like that, we can easily blame ourselves and say, what's the point when we see no fruit? Just like Elijah said in verse 4, I am no better than my father's. In other words, he's not any better than any of the previous prophets. And then we want to crawl under our own broom trees, don't we, when we're like that. See, often we think that the more we do, the better the results would be. And yet, lack of results doesn't necessarily mean we're doing anything wrong. Because if you look at Elijah, if you think he had done nothing wrong, he had been faithful and he had obeyed all God's commands in the story so far. But God had never actually promised, had he, that Ahab and Jezebel would come to faith. Now, sometimes, like Elijah, we can think that if you have all the evidence, then it's irrefutable, people will come to God. But we also need to be reminded that evidence doesn't always convert, does it? It's only through God's softening hearts that folk will come to be converted. So Elijah is disappointed. He thinks he's a failure. And he's all alone under the broom tree. But that then leads us on to the second point. He's going to be taking a trip to the mountain. And this next section begins with God showing amazing grace to Elijah. I think it's a lovely few verses in verse 5. Behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Elijah thought he was alone, but in fact, he wasn't alone, was he? Because God sought him out and sent an angel who tenderly touched him. See, God came and God didn't deliver a spiritual lesson. God provided what Elijah needed at that particular moment, which wasn't a Bible text platitude, as so often we can be tempted to give to people in such situations, but it was food and water and some more sleep. And that must have been a reminder to Elijah, mustn't it, that God provides and protects because what he got there to eat is very similar to what he got to eat when he was with the widow um, earlier on in the, in the last couple of chapters. God's provision and protection was with Elijah even though he was under the broom tree in the wilderness. And then, of course, Elijah falls asleep again, and the angel came a second time and instructs Elijah to eat and drink. But this time, the angel says a bit more. He instructs Elijah or invites Elijah to go on a journey, a journey of 40 days and nights into the wilderness that will take him to Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai, um, we can use them interchangeably. I think one is the range and one is the actual mountain. But it's not clear if Elijah at this stage knew where he was going, but God definitely did. There was a purpose 
in God taking Elijah back to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. Because when we hear things like wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights, Mount Sinai, what goes through our minds? Moses? Yes, Moses. Because Elijah was going to get almost a revision course in covenant theology, reminding him of what he already knew, and we sometimes need that as well. So, do you remember Moses? He was 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He went up Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. When he came down, the people were wondering where he had got to, and they'd started building golden calves and so on. The, the tablets were smashed. Moses went back up the mountain again, pleading for God to forgive them, which he does, and the covenant um, is renewed. You can read all about that in Exodus chapters 19 and 34. So Elijah, in going back to Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, I'll just call it Mount Sinai for simplicity, Elijah is going back to where it all began, where God made his original covenant with the people when he said, I will be your God and you will be my people, when he said that God would bless them if they obeyed him. Yes, there had been rebellion and turning away, but God had given a second chance. And so it's very significant that this is where Elijah is being taken. And so he arrives at the mountain and settles in at this cave, and it says the word of the Lord came and asked him what he was doing. Now, this is one of these questions where, um, depending on where you put the emphasis, it's, it's a kind of different question, isn't it? What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Or what are you doing here, Elijah? But I think, I don't think this is a rebuke in any way. I think this is God giving Elijah the chance to unburden himself. Just a, what are you doing here, Elijah? A simple opportunity for Elijah to take it to the Lord in prayer. And so in verse 10, he unburdens himself. And read what he says here. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So we see in that response, don't we, that Elijah still had a passion for God and his people. His disappointment was that the covenant had been forsaken. Now, he may exaggerate a wee bit by saying, I only, I am the only one left, but maybe he was thinking that he was, in fact, the only prophet standing up, which he was, because the other ones had all kind of been taken away and were hiding. Maybe that's what he meant. So he's up the mountain, and then we have this covenant reminder again, don't we, when God passed by. God tells Elijah, go and stand on the mountain. And then we've got the wind, the strong wind, and God wasn't in the wind. And then we have the mighty earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then we have the fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. These terrifying um, reminders of God's majesty, and then a silent whisper, or better translated, silence. Silence so that Elijah will listen. I think it's a bit like the old teacher trick, you teachers here, when you want to get your class's attention, you start by making a lot of noise and you gradually lower your voice and then everyone is paying attention. 
And that, I think, is what is happening here, because in the silence, God speaks. And so Elijah's great lesson is, I think, a clear reminder of the process that God's working. Yes, last time God was in the fire, in the barbecue, and sometimes God works that way. But the important thing is that Elijah had to remember that God speaks through his word, his covenant word, and that word will never be defeated. The promises that were made will always come to pass. So we had the unexpected result leads to the journey to the mountain, and then finally we have the recommissioning of Elijah. And it begins, doesn't it, with God asking the same question again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah gives exactly the same reply. But this time God responds with both a command and a promise. And I think it's almost as if God is agreeing, isn't he, that yes, the people have disobeyed him. Yes, the covenant, um, they, they have ignored the covenant. And God is kind of agreeing and saying, okay, yes, I agree with that. But now, Elijah, you've still to go on and there's still a further task for you to do. And God sets out the next steps, which are a command in verses 15 to 17, where he says, go and return to Damascus. And when you get there, then um, anoint three people. There's still a lot of work for Elijah to do. But not just that, God also gives this promise in verse 18 that there will be a remnant people. So it's a mixture of grace, the rescuing, and judgment at the same time. And so Elijah, having seen the Lord, having realized um, what was happening, was content to do what he had been called to do knowing that God would keep his promises. So let's look very briefly at what these um, commands were. Firstly, the command to anoint Haziel as king of Syria and Jehu king of Israel, and then Elisha. Now, these first two names may seem very unfamiliar. I think Elisha is probably fairly familiar. But what's going on? Well, God is appointing these three men who would act in judgment on Ahab's family but also continue God's work. Elijah wouldn't fully appreciate it, but we can look back and see what happened. And in fact, if you go forward into 2 Kings, afternoon reading for everyone, you'll see that many years later, Hazael did become king of Syria, and during his reign, God used the cruel Hazael to punish Israel. That's an interesting story for their wickedness. And what about Jehu? Well, you can read later on that when he was king of Israel, he arranged for Jezebel to be thrown out of a window to her death, and, and she was crushed there, showing that God's judgment will come, although it's well deferred, with plenty of time to repent, but God's judgment would come. He would keep his promises. But it wasn't just judgment. God also promised there would be this remnant of 7,000 people in Israel, people who hadn't bowed down to Baal, See, Elijah wasn't alone at all, was he? He thought he was. But God's promise to be faithful was being and would be fulfilled. God would still have his people. And even, in, well, going forward to Jesus' time when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. 
God will always have his people. And then the final anointing was Elisha, who was to be Elijah's successor, because God's work wouldn't stop. It didn't all depend on Elijah. He wasn't finished yet, but now he had a minister in training alongside him, because Elisha would carry on the work of God. And how encouraging must that have been for Elijah to know that that was going to happen. Encouraging, maybe a wee bit dentist pride, a wee bit knowing he wasn't indispensable. But then it's a reminder again to him that God's work doesn't depend on any particular person. And that's a reminder to us too, I think, both encouraging and challenging as well. See, God always has a succession plan here, a succession plan for Elijah and beyond and beyond because his work is going to carry on. I was thinking that's encouraging for us as well, isn't it? A time of vacancy. We may think we're in a bump of the road at the moment, um, but we can be assured that God's work will carry on and on, that God has a succession plan in his own timing, and we wait for that. So as we conclude, um, what do we make of this chapter? What does it teach us? Well, let me mention a few things, and maybe we can chat about them over coffee, see what we think. But we've seen firstly that, well, we, we saw earlier on, didn't we, that God cares when we are discouraged. Because doing gospel work is exhausting, isn't it? Um, it can be draining. It's vital work, but it can cost us. But God knows this, and he cares. And he cares for us in different ways. He can care for us through um, each other. And that's why I think one of the benefits, one of the good things of being in a church family, isn't it? As we look around and see some folk who are exhausted through serving God, then we can help and encourage and provide practical support. And secondly, we've seen how service of God can somehow seem unrewarding when our expectations are not met. But it's not about our expectations, for we can be sure that God is working out his purposes in his own timing and not ours. Because, you see, God is doing something bigger than any one of us can appreciate, isn't he? And these episodes with Elijah are really just a small section of God's big story. It may seem to us as if this was an unexpected bump on the road from the high down to the low in the desert, but nothing takes God by surprise. It wasn't even a bump in the road. It was God's plan all along, and the plan doesn't depend on us. Thirdly, <clears throat> I wonder if we've been struck by Elijah's esteem of God and his compassion for the people of Israel. We saw it in his prayers, didn't we, last week on Carmel, where he played, let it be known to the people that you are God and you have turned their hearts back. And in the prayers in this chapter, we've seen how he was really concerned about the people and how the people have forsaken the covenant. And I think this poses a challenge, certainly to me, maybe to us all. Do we share Elijah's concern for the lost, for those who don't know Jesus? Or do we just pay lip service to that? So if we think about our family, those in our family who don't know Jesus, we think about our friends who don't know Jesus, we think about our work colleagues who don't know Jesus, 
Do we share Elijah's concern for them, for the lost? And if we do, do we keep bringing lost folk before God in prayer? These are wonderful prayers of Elijah to go back to when we're thinking about our lost friends. And fourthly, do we believe that God works through his word and will keep his promises? That's what Elijah learned from the mountaintop experience. And it's a lesson that we always need to come back to, I think. Do we really value God's word and his promises? And if we do, as we say we do, what difference does that make? Do we treasure God's word here? Do we read it? Do we follow it? Do we explain it to others? Are we sad when it isn't explained properly or when it's misinterpreted? Elijah was reminded of this when he was up the mountain, wasn't he? But, and those of you who were at the um, evening gathering a couple of weeks ago will remember this, as we read forward in the Bible to the New Testament, we see that Elijah was up the mountain again. Do you remember that? In the transfiguration along with Moses and Jesus. And if you remember what happened there, God passed by again. And we read, if we were to go forward into the Gospels, then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud and said, this is my son who I love. Listen to him. Listen to the word. And I think that's the message for us all this morning. Let's listen to the word of Jesus, the word of God, for that's the word that we need to value and all the promises in there will be fulfilled. So let's listen to Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the message and we just ask, Lord, that you will help us to be faithful to your word. When things don't go as we expected, take us back to your word and remind us of your great promises and the comfort and knowledge that they will be fulfilled. And so, Lord, help us this coming week to be faithful to your word and how we live our lives wherever we are this week. That we do it not to achieve what we would like or we would expect, but that we do everything for you and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.